Hello, and welcome to Artbox DNV. I'm your host, Jason. In this episode, I sat down with Corey Lee Stowers near the Graffiti Museum off of 14th Street Northwest. Corey is a graffiti artist, musician, graphic artist, curator, director of DC murals, and has been, and still is, in graffiti crews. Corey ate tacos from Pia Taco, and I had chips and guac. We talked about Corey's start into the world of graffiti, his music, arrow, soul, murals of our time, and where graffiti stands today. So, with that, sit back and relax and enjoy the interview. Well, thank you for doing this again. Absolutely. I appreciate this. Uh, I want to sort out off the bat. What is Corey Lee Stowers' story? The Corey Lee Stowers' story is a young kid grows up in Hyattsville, just outside of D.C., gets bit by the graffiti bug in his late teens and you know, mid-teens, actually, really, like 16 years old. But that's late when it comes to graffiti writers. They normally start around 11 or 12. Hmm. But, you know, made my way into the city, found a tribe, you know, folks uh, that I could get down with. And for the last 25 years, really been here in the city creating art in one way, shape or form. Thinking back to that 16-year-old, mm-hmm. what grabbed that 16-year-old Corey? My family delivered newspapers for many, many years. From the time I was six years old to the time I was 12, I'd be up at 4 o'clock in the morning. We'd be in the truck. We'd be rolling around. We had up to 12 paper routes at one time between myself and my two brothers. At a certain point in time, we started working with the distributor. So we would go down at uh, like 3 o'clock in the morning and drive the big truck down into D.C. to Southwest where the... Washington Post plant was to yeah. pick up all of the newspapers and bring them back to PG County and give them out to all the servers. That's where I first started noticing graffiti hmm. um, on those rides. I would be like pressed out the back window. And uh, one thing that really connected with me is that in, in my neighborhood, even before I started writing graffiti, there was a graffiti writer named Keir, who's also a very well-known skateboarder. And I saw his name. He's from my neighborhood, but I saw his name down in... Southwest. And that kind of connected with me. I'm like, I know that. I've seen that around the way. You know what I'm saying? He's all the way over here. He was representing for MCA, which is Murder Capital Artist, which was, you know, the biggest graffiti crew at the time. And it was all really, really cool, you know. So I made that connection, you know, even before I started writing graffiti. Uh, but one of those nights where I was out running newspapers, mornings rather, um, I actually came across some, some freshly done graffiti, like on a utility box. And it was uh, by a very well-known Baltimore artist named Jace, the the head of BA crew. And he had must have just been through there because, like, I touched the paint and it was wet, Mm. you know. This idea that someone just did that, like, there's not that many people out on the road at this time in the morning, you know what I'm saying? And very, very rare we see people. Um, And the fact that I just missed it, you know, I was, like, looking around like, yo, who did that, you know? That brought it a little bit closer home for me and within you know like two or three weeks i had gotten with my best friend and we had decided that we were going to be graffiti writers so you just both got together like hey, all right man let's go start painting well so another graffiti writer from around my way uh wrote avalon 2 and uh one day we came back from a weekend uh being off and it was a monday morning and i remember walking in and there were Avalon 2 tags everywhere in the school. And oh. all, all of the stairwells, the bathrooms, somebody had gone through with like a big, thick magic marker and just caught all these Avalon 2 tags. Uh, everybody was talking about it, like in class and stuff. And then when we got to lunchtime, we always used to hang out at Senior Court. Uh, I went to Northwestern High School because we had this big space called Senior Court. 
we had a table where we all hung out and I, I was making a beeline for that table uh, to talk to my friend, uh, Mikey Vader, as he goes by, he's a DJ. Almost at the same time, we just like kind of looked at each other and be like, we got to start writing graffiti. <laughs> uh, and that afternoon we went to his house and we just started like figuring out what our names were going to be. Wow. How long did that process take to figure out your names? I mean, first name, probably within a couple of days. My very first graffiti name was Exo Manowar. That's a little complicated. It's complicated. It's named after old Dark Horse comic. Yeah. Um, a lot of letters. Yeah. Uh, that lasted maybe for about like six months. Then I switched it to DVS War, then to Cuba, then to Styler, and then finally to Eon. And all those name changes happened within a year. Wow. Um, so I was just playing around with names. Yeah. Um, our crew was very much the same way. Like we started out as uh, FAF, Freestyle Art Fiends. I was a little bit too close to FBS, the Freestyle Bomb Squad, who were from PG. They were our friends, but still too close. Uh, then because uh, my my best friend and our homegirl, Jen, uh, we were she was the only other one that was writing with us at the time. We were all three white kids that went to Northwestern, predominantly black school. We named ourselves CCC, the Crazy Caucasian Crew. <laughs> um, that, that ran for a couple of months, you know what I'm saying? Um, we had TKO Crew, which was Taking Kings Out, which was, I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> um, and then uh, I had been writing this phrase next to my tag, which was too damn cool, cool C-O-O-L. And uh, Alone was like, hey, you know, that would, that would make a nice name for a crew. But the initials are 2DC. Huh. So we're from PG and you don't want to be fronting. So no. we switched the spelling to K-O-O-L, 2DK. And we were the 2DK crew. And how long did that crew run? That crew's still running today. You're still running today. So 2DK is the original iteration. Uh, two Dope Kids, Two Dope Kings, Two Drop Knowledge. And then... It evolves roughly around 2002 into the Double Down Kings, which is named after Don D. White, style master general from New York, who frequently signed his written letters, the Double Down King, in reference to him painting pieces on either side of the train car in one sitting. Yeah, that actually would make him king. That's a lot of Easter eggs in there. Yeah. I mean, within your name. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know it. You know the history. Yeah. So what's the one thing that motivates you to to start DC murals and for that matter, all of your projects. And I mean like your, your music, your, your, your work that we were just talking about. Well, my work specifically for a long time has centered on self-identity. Um, it's an exploration that's not necessarily intended for anybody else besides Corey Lee Stowers, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even in my music, you know what I'm saying? Like for the most majority of my career has been kind of, self-identified, you know, music that reinforces the self-identity that I choose for myself, uh, the cultures that I choose to to uh, take part in. That, you know, that's different than when I paint a community mural, which, yeah. but it, is, it has some of the same elements, which is it's about identity. You know what I'm saying? Whenever mm -hmm. ever I go into another community to create something, I always think about the traditional identities, uh, think about, you know, stories that need to be told. Um, so there's a separation there between the, the design work I do in designing a mural and installing a mural versus like when I do a graffiti piece or we do a graffiti production even. But it's always been more about self-exploration on any front. You know, with the graffiti is about trying to learn about it, trying to get access to into the culture and then trying to learn how to be a part of the culture and learn how to be better in the culture. Um, with the music, it's just kind of the same way, you know, I, I, 
you know, I don't create music that I consider to be detrimental to the community. I, but it's always a reflection of who I am. Graphic design as a profession, which uh, I went to school for, helped me to get outside of myself for, you know, creative purposes. Yeah. Because it's not about me necessarily. While I've done a ton of graphic design, that's, and anything you've seen, that's a project of mine. I've done all the graphic design for. But when I'm working for clients, you know what I'm saying, that gave me the opportunity to work outside of myself and create outside of myself. And I always get, you know, really excited when I'm working on something that has, you know, some nuance to it. I'm, I'm not trying to do like car dealership, like ads and things yeah. like that, but working for nonprofit organizations such as like Empower DC or uh, some, some of the others that uh, Hung Tao Choi Mei Leadership Institute, you know, other media projects like Black Broadway on you. Um, and then ultimately to DC murals, you know, which uh, I'm not the founding you know, the founder of the organization was founded by Dr. Perry Frank in 1997 as a way to preserve the existing public art that she saw in the city. And that was disappearing at a rapid rate. I met and linked up with Dr. Frank in 1997. And she was really a catalyst for me into going into deeper into the murals because we were painting a lot of street productions then, which are collections of graffiti names matched with theme background and colors she stopped by one of our walls and she wanted to talk about it. And I was, you know, one of the more approachable guys on the wall at the moment. And so I ended up having a conversation with her and she was just so amazed at what we were doing with the spray can. And then, you know, before she left, she said something to me that stuck with me, which was what you're doing is really important. And from the perspective of graffiti writer who has been, you know, for the most part told that your stuff's garbage and it's not wanted, mm -hmm. you know, for someone who's a doctor, you know, a PhD, like saying, you know, what you're doing is extremely important and I want you to follow up with me and let me know, you know, what you're working on. That was a big deal, you know? And so it left an yeah. impression on me that even over the years as Dr. Frank would, you know, periodically reach out to me to let me know about something she was working on within the project or ask if I would want to be involved in something. I always made myself available to her because uh, I remember that day very distinctly as being like the day where I was like, oh, okay. So people are paying attention to what we're doing. Yeah. And that actually served as a catalyst for me to go a little bit further into the creation of public murals. Well, like you said, sometimes the power of word, you sure. know, it's, that's kind of like your Peggy Gumenheim moment. You know how Peggy Gumenheim was such a huge patron of the arts and helped create modern art in America, which if you love or hate, right? But you need someone just like like her, passionate, like mm. the good doctor. I mean, she I, I met her at the talk, at the panel yeah. talk. Very upbeat, very energetic. Yeah. She was also impatient. <laughs> she she does not like to wait when we said we're gonna do something at a certain time. She's not she's not one for the waiting. But you know, that's the exhibit at MLK Library was such a huge deal. Yeah. For a number of reasons. One, it's the, the largest exhibition that's ever been put on by DC Murals. As an organization, a nonprofit organization, we're only two years old, but the project is 20 plus some years old. Oh, yeah. Most of that time, Dr. Frank has carried that weight by herself and, you know, funding photographers to go document, uh, renting venues to be able to host conversations and panel discussions where we present some of the artists and the artist's work. And, you know, that says a lot about her passion and about what she thought was important to do with her salary as a writer, you know what I'm saying, to be yeah. able to put, you know, some of those resources towards taking pictures of some things that I have access to the archives. I've seen pictures of things 
from those boxes that I've never seen anywhere else. Oh, wow. And I think that that's a hallmark of the DC Murals project because while a lot of people have begun taking photographs and documenting the work over the past four or five years, our work goes back into the 70s. And even earlier now with the earlier discovery of the the Topper Carew and New Thing mural that's listed in the gallery book, because that's 1968. So we have effectively pushed back the start date for DC murals into a a whole nother decade. Before we were at 1979, now we're at 68. And you never know, we might even find something even older. Perhaps. 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 Uh, But it's only through all of the conversations, all of the presentations, the people that you meet that you find, you know what I'm saying, one bit of information, you know. Before I came out to meet with you today, she and I were on the phone. This is the other reason why the exhibition was, for me, such a big deal is because Dr. Frank made it known to me at the end of last year that after this program was done, she effectively wanted to step down from the organization because she's getting a little bit older. She has a vision for writing her comprehensive book on the history of murals in Washington, D.C., and she wants to focus on that. And so she's going to be passing the organization off to me um, to lead. Congratulations. uh, Thank you for for future. Uh, So I wanted to make sure that whatever we presented in this fashion, being that it's our very first major funding opportunity, being that it may possibly be the last exhibition that we have Dr. Frank with us for, that it was received in, in a very serious way um, and that we um, that we did it big for her, you know? Well, I mean, that definitely is, is really awesome. I mean, especially during the time of COVID, it was very ingenious where they had it on the, on the pillars sure. and sure. they also had them on, you know, on the big windows. Sure. And the library had recently opened up, so it was mm-hmm. nice to go back down there and see the library all fresh and new. Yeah. And to have that there is just that I, I kind of wish that they just keep up that stuff permanent but you know that yeah and i think that you know uh with not knowing you know for a uh, majority of the project like what we were going to actually display yeah like my initial my initial plan would have been something that was inside that was more photograph based uh gave you some you know some ephemera and things of that nature yeah obviously you can't do that in the windows but we also didn't know that people would be able to go into the the library so we had to make a decision in the beginning of may as to how we were going to present this information and i'd been archiving all through the year and, and doing interviews and all of that stuff Uh, But we still didn't know exactly what we were going to do. So um, in uh, mid-May, we made that commitment that we're going to do the outside of the windows. And over the next, you know, three to four weeks, I designed those panels. And, uh, you know, we were working with a lot of people, working with the library. Everybody's got to have a say. And, you know, there was a lot of stressful days where we didn't know. You know, I would have ideally liked the show to run more than a month and three weeks. You know, given the limitations that we had for the planning and all the unknowns, you know what I'm saying? I feel like it it ended up where it was supposed to be, which was outside. Uh, Looking at those works inside, a bit out of place. You you beat me to the punch because I felt like it was a great idea to have it there because... What's the expression? You get more flies with honey. Sure. So the fact that it was outside, you had more casual viewers, kind of like how graffiti would be viewed anyway. Absolutely. So it was kind of a happy accident in that regard. Absolutely. I think it worked out for the best just to have it outside. Yeah. Obviously, like, we look forward to future opportunities where we can share some of those things that, you know, that we weren't able to share, like, on the windows because it just didn't make sense, you know. What you saw on those windows is just a drop in the bucket of our archives. 
Well, and also the aerosol book. Yes. Full name of his aerosol murals for our time. Let me get, make sure I get that right. The book really does help add a layer to the history of what's going on. Then you start to realize how intertangled everything is, you know, because you got this great art going on on the streets, and you also it's reflecting what's going on during the times, and it's still like that today. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about it is that it's going to the people rather than the people coming to it. You know, when you look at a lot of established galleries or movements, things like that, they always have to have people come to it. Right. But with the graffiti and with murals, you're bringing it to the people. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's helping expose people to what the artist is saying, exposing them to art and culture. It's exposing them to a lot of that stuff. You got to document all that because, like you said, it's all ephemeral. It's going to disappear. Sure. You know, something like the book, I think, is super important. One, because of the limitations for for folks to be able to view it in terms of like the time frame. Um, but then also, you know, we, we got a grant for this $30,000, you know, and what a waste it would be if that whole thing happened and then it all went away and then yeah. there was no trace or record of it. You know, I told Dr. Frank, cause initially it was supposed to be like 10 to 15 page brochure. Yeah. Uh, and then it grew to a 75 page booklet. Uh, but what you got was like about 125 pages. Yeah. And I cut 30 pages. Ooh, editing. It sucks. At the end, because we didn't raise up enough funds, you know what I'm saying, to fully cover everything. And, you know, the the idea is there. And um, and uh, as I was talking with Dr. Frank, uh, it's something that we can expound on, that we can add to, we can reissue, reprint. Right. Yeah. And it's now... Make of volumes. Exactly. Um, it now puts a pinpoint when it comes to this conversation between DC graffiti, DC murals, what are the ties? You know, uh, we put a pinpoint in that for anybody who is interested. Um, And now as we find ways to uh, get these books into more people's hands and and particularly into the hands of like young people, that's gonna be, you know, the greatest kind of capstone for this exhibition. What do you think people might miss about the book and the exposition that uh, you had? Well, I mean, many people, I think, missed the exhibition overall because they they were just kind of getting aware of it as it was coming down. Yeah. But I think intrinsically, I think that, you know, people might still gloss over the fact that much of the work that you were seeing in in those panels and then even like much of the, the early mural work, this is all endeavors by the artist to create something in the community. Most of the times not sanctioned or, you know, loosely sanctioned, definitely non-funded or extremely underfunded. Yeah. And so we have this whole history of muralists and artists that are underappreciated and underrecognized and undervalued. Oh yeah. My hope is the takeaway is that we need to do more for our visual artist community, um, and particularly in terms of how art is funded and how it's valued, you know, how it's preserved or not yeah. preserved. And while I think many people will miss some of that nuance in the story, my hope is, is for the people that are getting engaged by the story that are in, in positions where they can change and alter, you know, either policy when it comes to protections for murals yeah. or funding process over final product, you know what I'm saying, within the arts community, 
you know, uh, commission and uh, organizations like that. I think that that is something that I hope they'll take away from it. I, I do not hold my breath that, you know, a vast majority of people were going to walk away and be from, you know, like that art was really good. I can't believe that these artists painted all this stuff out of their pocket and people just painted over it. You know, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, it also speaks volumes of a passion. The first thing that comes to my mind when I see work that is out in the wild, right. they, they have such a passion for it. They're spending their hard-earned money for supplies to, mm -hmm. to make that happen on a wall. And, you know, one of the things that, that sticks out, because I uh, often have to answer the question, what's the distinction between D.C. murals and murals D.C.? Murals D.C., which is the Department of Public Works program that yeah. sponsors uh, murals once a year, has kind of gotten the lion's share of credit when it comes to the introduction of this genre of murals into the city, when in reality, you know what I'm saying, they are just the recipient of the accolades that people would have been directing towards the artist had they known about the artist's work and had they been lifted up appropriately mm -hmm. in that program. Now, that's not to say that every mural that's painted by, you know, that program is, is not authentic or it's bad or it's wrong. I'm not saying any of that. But, you know, the Department of Public Works has gotten pretty good reputation off of the legacy of this program, which is built off the legacy of those artists. Yeah, well, I'm, I guess you had to start somewhere. Sure. But, you know, but all I can hope for is that they just start acknowledging them maybe through other means. Yeah, you know? I mean, there's a hope, but I mean, I won't hold my breath. It's a, well, you know. I'm knocking on, yeah, there's no wood to no. knock on. So. I won't hold my breath, though, <laughs> because, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, that program is run through the Department of Public Works yeah. Public Relations Department. It is literally just PR. They don't care about the artists. They don't care about the youngins. You know what I'm saying? At the end, it's about photographs and being able to say they did something. Or make it Instagram famous, sure. you know, like you, that pink wall in L.A., you sure. know, that everyone runs to to take pictures in front sure. of. But Their criteria for who they want to have come paint is, you know, reflective of, oh, how many Instagram followers do they have? So how do they go about selecting people? Are they starting to branch away from people in the local area? So it has been a policy for that program since 2012 that it was selected by a panel. Okay. That panel has since proven to be non-existent necessarily hmm. and really picked at the behest of the, the head of that program. I won't mention their name here on here, but... Suffice to say that it was confessed to a very well-known muralist here who was being courted to do additional work that, no, in fact, they weren't selected by a panel, that they were handpicked by this person. And that has been a running thing yeah. in the program for many years. If you look back at the history, there's a, you know, one particular artist who has had a commission every year. You know, that's that's questionable, particularly when you have yeah. so many young artists in the city who have definitely participated in creating work, um, who haven't been lifted up for uh, for a you know lead artist commission. Uh, there's 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 you know generations of graffiti writers go in about three year spans. General life cycle of a graffiti writer is probably three years unless they get invested in it and they're doing something yeah. good. Typically, like tend to not stick around longer than that. But for those that have, you know, what I'm saying when you look at the the history of that program, which started in 2007, taken over by DPR in 2010, that's a uh, 10 years of uh, 
of history, and that's roughly about three generations of graffiti writers. I was going to say that. Yeah. Wow. So you imagine how many you missed. Yeah. And then there's still plenty of OGs who haven't come back and actually contributed. You know, in 2011, uh, I ran that program from top to bottom, and we did have full engagement in the graffiti community with younger graffiti writers. We did have OG graffiti writers coming back to lead the murals, all different styles. Uh, several of those artists are still in the main roster of Murals DC because they don't have that Rolodex. Yeah. You know, they don't know who to call. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. So the selections pretty much kind of stay the same for the most part, unless they want to import somebody. Yeah, because you know. I, I was curious about that because I know in certain municipalities they will start just branching out rather than trying to reach in first. So I was kind of curious about that. Well, now, it's been an ongoing thing. Not mentioning thing. any of the municipalities that I'm... Um, no, it's been an it. ongoing problem here in the city. I mean, there are a number of funding agencies even outside of like Department of Public Works for that program, um, you know, uh, Department of General Affairs. Yeah. They routinely put out calls that, you know, are beyond the city. One result of that is that Abraham Lincoln mural that you see on the Metro Branch Trail, yeah. which was a $100,000 project. I pitched for that project. That project would have uh, fed 15 different artists from the community that live here. Mm -hmm. uh, instead, that was given to an artist from upstate New York. Um, and, I mean, to be honest with you, the, the whole concept of, like, Lincoln on the Metro Branch Trail is kind of like, eh, you know, not nothing against Lincoln, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. But it's like, that's a large piece of space in the public sphere putting up this message. I know it's allegedly supposed to be dedicated towards the people who built the the monument. Yeah. But then again, they're very small compared to the central figure. Is it really about them? You know what I'm saying? Like... All of that to say, that mural to me doesn't necessarily sit well because I know that there could have been, you know, like 10 to 15 artists who paid well for working on something. But even still, you're still sending $100,000 outside of the city. Exactly. When the artists are struggling to stay in the city. Yeah, and that money goes right back into the community. Sure. And I bet you if you think about all of the... Um, the people in the city that, that you would consider to be making a living painting murals and found out how many of them don't actually live in the city because they can't afford it. I mean, you know, that, very well, that few, says something. very few. And I would tell you that most of them are the ones that are working with the bids that are able to afford to live in the city. You know oh, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be a hallmark of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, but that, I think there, there's a fair, a fair number of artists, you know what I'm saying, who create regularly in the city and create great works, but really can't afford to be in the city, can't afford a studio in the city, can't do none of that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't afford the studio here either. So yeah. <laughs> how does the medium, and I mean by like spray paint and the actual wall, uh, how does the medium play into the story or the fabric of DC's neighborhoods and their people? We kind of been touching around that already. Sure. One of the things to, to realize is, you know, DC is, is not New York, right? We never had like this in mass, like, uh, you know, flood of graffiti writers, although in the, the early and mid 90s, very, very solid scene. Um, and through the 2000s, you know, graffiti bombing has been kept up, particularly by small groups of people. Yeah. But over the years, the murals, the street productions and those sort of things, they really added a sense of, of visual value into the spaces where they were being installed. You know, we don't Graffiti writers don't congregate around, like, the nice part of town, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Because you're not able to 
you know, you're not able to find spots to paint. But for like spaces like, you know, U Street and Shaw, like in the mid 1990s, you know, spaces like V Street, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and along the red line and any of the number of spots that have been like kind of claimed by the graffiti writers. I think that people would be hard pressed to say that the graffiti has been a bad thing. Right. Right. Whether it paved the way for contemporary murals that we're seeing today, uh, either stylistically or through aesthetics or just like held a space for a future mural, that graffiti positively affected the community. I know on U Street in particular, when we started to paint the walls, like there were so many people who were residents, who were business owners, who were so appreciative of the things that we were doing because for so many years, they didn't really get much love from the city. No, they didn't. Um, after the uprisings, after Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination, on through the construction of the Green Line, you know, that neighborhood was basically left to kind of die on the vine. Yeah. Thankfully for the artists, it didn't happen. Not only just the graffiti artists, but the musicians and everybody that, that adopted U Street, readopted U Street as the cultural epicenter in the city yeah. um, after it had been left. So for those spaces, spaces like Columbia Heights, where used to be a lot of gang graffiti and but but then, you know, you see these these crossovers, you know, what I'm saying these attempts by the mm -hmm. artists to create stuff that's more than just their name, more than just their gang. You know, uh, Luis Deval, who is a very well-known painter, you know, comes from that side of things, you know, and he and I, you know, are connected through various OG gangsters from, you know, from the Columbia Heights area where when we were both coming up, like we knew these people, you know what I'm saying? These yeah. were the people yeah. who were doing the graffiti there, you know, so there's all this, there's all this history in each of the neighborhoods and how each neighborhood might connect to graffiti. Southside would be something different with the go-go graffiti and, and some of the original pioneering graffiti writers coming out of Southeast, you know? So I think all of those things like lend themselves to giving weight to the the impact of the spray can artists in the community and whether it was the the first folks that were doing the tags um, or bombing up or it's the later generations who participated in the street productions yeah. uh, in the murals or maybe they did a little bit of all of that you know either which way you know what I'm saying they positively impacted the community yeah I, I would agree I think that how can it be a downside to you know to have a little a little art in sure. your neighborhood sure this is more of my philosophical question uh, what does art you do now let me preface that for you like your your work your graffiti your your mural work your music all of that what does your art do uh and say about your ideas i hope that my art says that i care about my community whether it's murals whether it's uh music you know, I don't try to put anything detrimental out. I wouldn't do a Heineken mural. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I that, call that the the Fagazi rule. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Fagazi wouldn't do interviews with magazines that had liquor ads and cigarette ads. Yeah, I'm not doing that either. You know what I'm saying? Not for murals. You know what I'm saying? Like whatever. If if I can't if I can't inject the community's identity and history into a project, I don't want to do it. I think that that's just my part because I know that so much art and then air quotes art gets created. Yeah. That's non-contextual. That doesn't, you know, speak to the identity of, uh, of the space or, or to the identity of the community that 
you know, I won't allow myself, you know what I'm saying, to do that unless unless I'm doing my own burner, you yeah. know what I'm saying, which yeah. is my own thing. But even with that, you know what I'm saying, I hope people are able to look at my work and be like, this person has really studied what they're doing. I might not be the best graffiti. I know, matter of fact, I know I'm not the best graffiti writer. I'm not the most up graffiti writer and none of those things. But when you look at my piece, you can't deny that I know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. I actually respect that. I respect that you are going, look, I have these morals that I want to also show, you know, like no alcohol ads, no cigarette ads, things like that. That for a community that helps a lot because that goes for no, no developer murals, you know what I'm right. saying? Yeah. No, no taking money for, from the bids for projects that I know are going to art wash a community. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's a fine line to walk as an artist. You know what I'm saying? Like it's tough. Doritos call me tomorrow and say, I got 15 K for you to do a mural. I'm like, man, I could use that 15K, you know? You know, I might push back at him and be like, hey, I'll do a mural for you for 15K if I can do one about this person. Or thing, not... Right, right, right. right. If I can bring, if I can bring attention to this, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But I mean, we're not doing your Dorito bag and, you know, <laughs> and I'm, you know, we're not doing, you know, Chuck Brown eating a Dorito. We're not doing none of yeah. that. You know? Oh, I like that. Chuck Brown eating a burrito. Now, yeah. uh, I would kind of be sad if I saw that. I would be too, yeah. you know, um, and much in the same way that any of the traditional identity getting co-opted for something that you know is not connected to it, yep. you know, would make you, you know. And I, I follow, you know, and, and a couple of my OGs have this philosophy. One of my OGs, Mex, has the philosophy, you know, like, you want to, like, bomb up and make messy the neighborhoods, you know what I'm saying, or right on people's houses or their personal vehicles or houses of worship or anything of that. Right. Those are off limits. Yeah, You know what I'm are. saying? City infrastructure, abandoned properties, retaining walls, open. Yep. You know, you know finding the cracks in between, you know, or as um, our moderator at the last panel, Tim, said, the spaces in between buildings, right. you know, different, you know what I'm saying? But in general, you know what I'm saying? Having some sort of an ethos that you stick to in graffiti and in murals. Yeah, I, I think you pretty much answered this question throughout this whole interview. And it was how do others respond to graffiti now? Hmm. You pretty much have answered that. Sure. So we don't have to ask that. Well, I will say that. The, but yeah, go ahead. From where I started you know, in 1994, where it was still very much a secret and you didn't tell many people that you wrote to now where a graffiti writer will do a graffiti piece and put their Instagram handle next to it. That's leaps and bounds, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Because, but I think a lot of that had to do with time and the generation of people that grew up loving graffiti coming into their own in a place where they could say, hey, you know what? I always loved graffiti. This is my business. I'm going to have graffiti on it. You know, yeah, I like it. You know what I'm saying? And so people have that transition, you know, um, or, or rather the culture has had that transition. Um, and now where we see like a lot of business owners, younger business owners are more willing to engage and have that. And obviously we know and they know uh, how popular murals have been over the last 10 years. So right. it's almost a no brainer. But for those who gave us the space for graffiti productions, they didn't know that. They were just like, you know what? Yeah, go ahead. And that's great. And we need more of them. And we need more of that. We need more. We need actually more graffiti productions in mm -hmm. the city. We need less murals and more graffiti productions, I think. So I'm going to wrap this up sure. that I always ask. What advice would you give to your past self and to other artists? To my past self, 
I would have urged myself earlier on to seek out a mentor. Hmm. Not that I wasn't looking for, you know, someone to show me, but I was out in the woods, you know, essentially for the first two, two and a half years that I was writing graffiti. Maybe I could have done something differently to speed up that process. I don't know. Right. Uh, maybe also in that, you know, I would tell my younger self, start writing graffiti earlier. You know what I'm saying? Because then you will have more years where you can't technically get in trouble because you're a juvenile. <laughs> uh, you know, as opposed to like coming into it and then a couple years later being like, like oh, I can get kind of concerned about like what might happen. Yeah. Um, so you can live a little bit more carefree start charging money sooner for yeah, the things that you're doing. Yeah, um, It's a passion, but it's also a passion that you studied and practiced and done. It doesn't hurt to ask for money for sure. it. Sure. But, you know, I, I, I come from a school where, you know, graffiti writers didn't do any of those things per se. Right. You know, you didn't get paid to paint. Well, now I'll be like, no, get paid to paint. Yeah. Whether it's your burner or something else, get paid to paint. And, you know, I started focusing on that earlier because it it took me it took me a good 12 years before we could like really get people to pay decent money. Right. Yeah, I know what you mean. There was a stretch where we couldn't get people to pay us over a thousand dollars to do something. And then that went to a thousand and went to five thousand, went to ten thousand. You know, it barely paid for paint supplies. Yeah, and, you yeah. know, depends on how many people are there. But yeah, you know, I mean, in essence, you know, what I'm saying like I would urge myself to go on that path a little bit sooner yeah. as opposed to, you know, trying to thug life it. Well, thank you, sir, for doing this. The other quick little questions, there's anything that you need to expand on? Just that we're doing a ton of projects. We have the 14th Street Graffiti Museum, which is at 14th and Crittenden. We'll be doing events from the 15th of August uh, for the Double Down Kings anniversary. Uh, through the 19th, which is Cool Disco Dan Day, and the museum will be open up all day. Uh, and then on the 21st, we'll also be having a little get-together for OG Sex 50th birthday. So we're doing all of that stuff over the next couple of weeks. Um, you can definitely check us out at dcmurals.org, uh, where you can also make a donation to our ongoing operations, uh, rockcreeklee.com, if you would like to check out the music, uh, purchase a vinyl record. And, um, you know, you can follow us on Instagram, Instagram, DC murals, uh, or at Rock Creek Lee, either or you'll find me. I'll be the one answering all of the DMs. So, <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you again, sir. I want to say thank you to Corey for taking the time to do the interview. Head on over to his website at rockcreeklee.com. His Instagram is rockcreeklee. Make sure to check out DC Murals' website as well at www.dcmurals.org. And its Instagram is DC Murals. To hear this episode in full and past episodes, go to artboxdmv.com. Oh, and don't forget, artboxdmv is on Instagram at artboxdmv. So with that, until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>